What's up, guys? My name is CJ Finley, and this is the Thrive on Life podcast. I created a brand called Thrive on Life to help other mission-based people, brands, and businesses thrive. So if you have a new idea, project, or business that you're working on, I'd love to help you or connect you with somebody that can. And today is definitely somebody that can help you. He's one of the guys here in Austin, Texas that I look up to the most, one of my best friends and co-founder of a company called Prep to Your Door, Mr. Fayez Rana. And today it's episode 50 and I wanted to have him on because he was the guy that believed in me from the beginning and was actually episode number one when we're outside Whole Foods with our little lav mics. And today, fortunately, we're back in my office with my headsets and our couch and a way better vibe than that Whole Foods, uh, (laughs) even though we love Whole Foods, it was still good. We are happy to have iterated to the next level, but there's a lot going on in the world today, and I kind of wanted to just pick Faiz's brain to kick this off of what's actually going through his mind in this current moment. Yeah, so what is it? It's June 3rd, 2020. We're perhaps on the tail end of a worldwide shutdown from COVID-19. As soon as Texas and the country starts to open up, Interrupts in protests over the killing of George Floyd. And it's heavy. It's a really heavy time, I think. I think everybody is um, trying to understand their place in it in a different way. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of resentment. There's violence happening in cities across the country. And uh, I think everybody's just asking themselves, like, what's right what's right and what is wrong and what do we do and what do we not do? So obviously that's what's been on my mind. And, you know, I think in these times you really need to look to leadership to, to understand what to do. And, you know, I cracked open my autobiography of Martin Luther King and, and I thought, man, what, what the hell did he do? You know, what, 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 what did, what did he do during the civil rights era? Because, it feels like we're going through, you know, 50 years later, another, another Ooh, manifestation of a march for an improvement in civil rights. So I was going over the story again, and, you know, it's really, I was trying to draw the parallels, and I, and I learned and refreshed my memory on the end of segregation happened because Rosa Parks decided to sit in the middle of the bus. A lot of people say that it was in the front of the bus. She's, she sat in an area that they called no man's land. It was neither a white section nor a colored section. And a white person came on the bus. And back then, if a white person came on the bus and you were black, you had to get up or be removed from the bus. Um, and she, on that day, decided to say, this is no man's land and I have the right to sit here. You know, we all know that Rosa Parks was then arrested and put into jail. And so a group of reverends in Montgomery, Alabama, Martin Luther King um, was elected as the leader of this group they formed um, in which they would essentially try to gain the right to sit wherever they wanted on buses. Um, Their demands were essentially twofold, which was, First come, first serve on the bus. If I'm a black person and I come onto an empty bus and I sit on it and then a a white person comes on and doesn't have a seat, I should still be able to remain seated. And I should have basic respect from the bus drivers. 
There was issues where they just wouldn't stop for black people or black person would put their money in at the front of the bus. Then they would have to walk back out and go enter from the back entrance again. And, you know, sometimes bus drivers would just drive off. Just unequal treatment. And these group of ministers were able to gain audience with the city council of Montgomery, Alabama at the time and put forward their requests and they denied it on the grounds of segregation. They said, we, we can't grant you first come first serve seating on the buses because that would interfere with segregation laws. So now this group led by Martin Luther King had to tackle the issue of segregation. So they led a year-long boycott of the bus systems, which most certainly hurt those private bus companies, which put pressure on the city council to sit with these group of ministers. And what began as a simple protest from Rosa Parks turned into a demand for equal seating on the buses, turned into an abolishment of segregation. How many years was it from... Does it tell you? Don't quote me on this, but it was the late 50s and the early 60s. Okay. I think Rosa Parks, that incident happened in the late 50s. And I don't know when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Mid 60s. So I'm looking at it today and I think, well, what do we do? We have this problem. You know, what's our equivalent of not being able to sit on the bus? There's some form of unequal treatment that we're experiencing. We see it on social media day in and day out. I can go onto Facebook on any given day and see some form of police brutality towards black people. There's other issues in terms of incarceration rates, you know, black people committing crimes. We'll just talk about incarceration for possession of marijuana. There's countless studies that white people are just as likely to use marijuana as black people, except the number of black people in prison for marijuana charges is far higher than white people. That's just one example of what we call institutional racism. But, you know, what we're responding to today is, is this man was murdered on camera. And I watched the whole video and you know, you see a police officer with his knee on the back of the neck of this black man. And for five minutes, he's saying, like, I can't breathe. He's in handcuffs. His, his hands are behind his back. And the police officer doesn't budge. After about five, six minutes, George just flat out passes out. Like, he is no longer conscious. And you see this on camera. He, he just goes limp. He's not talking anymore. And... The police officer continues to keep his knee and his whole body weight on the back of his neck for like another five minutes after he's unconscious. You know, for the first five minutes I tried, I was like, okay, what, what are all the reasonable, what are the reasons perhaps that the police officer felt like he needed to do this? Although it's totally outside the scope of their training. Like any trained military or police officer will tell you that, that that's not how you uh, restrain even if they're not cooperating. Okay, he, maybe he feared for his life that George would outpower him, even though he was in handcuffs already. So he kept his knee on his neck for his own safety. But why did he keep his knee on the back of his neck after he passed out? Like, what's the fucking, what's the reason there? Yeah, and the, the tough thing that I have for, like, I couldn't even, like, watch the whole thing. It's like, isn't the purpose to 
have some type of outcome. That's what was scary to me is like, it looked like the outcome he wanted is the one that happened. And like, that's what's scary because typically if, if anyone is going to get arrested for anything, it's like, we're going to put you in handcuffs and then you're going to get in the back of the car and then you're going to go drive to the precinct. Yeah. But it's clear as day that like nobody knows the outcome of what these four guys are trying to achieve. And that's, what's really scary. Like it's very scary because there's no due process. Yeah. Every, it doesn't matter who you are in the United States, you're entitled to due process. The police officer can book you, but you, you, you uh, are entitled to a lawyer and to defend. And what yourself. infuriates me is because as a white male, we statistically shoot up and mass murder way more people than anyone in the United States, and they get a due process and come out That's safely right. in handcuffs. Yeah. Yeah, that's obviously you see that that's really hard as well. There's just so many angles to this that something is wrong, right? There's an infection, right, in our body, in our system, and it needs to be treated. It needs to be cut out, otherwise it's going to spread. I'm really glad that Obama posted a couple of days ago because I was really grasping for some form of leadership. And, you know, he's very clear in the message he released, which is there has been no form of consequential change, systematic change that's ever occurred without disruptive rioting or protesting. It's never happened because why? The purpose of protesting is to create some form of chaos so that business as usual can't happen. We have to change, right? We can't drive down I-35 because there's protesters. Well, how do you get rid of the protesters? Protesters are demanding change. Okay, I hear you. We need change. What is the change? Yeah. Well, we need more equal treatment. Okay, but this is what I was looking at Martin Luther King for. What is that specific change we're looking for? They were, they were overruling, they were changing, amending these segregation laws, a very specific law on the grounds of the 14th Amendment. So what specific laws do we want to change now or do we want to enact now and based on what? I know they're there. I just, I need, you know, we, we, research. we just, we just need to find it. Smart people need to, to figure that out. And we need to translate. My biggest fear is that the momentum of these protests just dies out and the status quo wins again, right? We, we have to harness this energy of the crowds and everybody, you know, posting on social media and we need to translate it into real institutional change. And so I'm still, I guess that's where I'm, putting a lot of my energy and my views on the protests are also complicated, but I'm not choosing to spend a lot of my energy criticizing the yeah. protesters because I would rather focus on the root cause. Like that's happening for a reason. And there's a lot of bad shit, wrongs, things that are happening in those protests. I mean, all you, you got to do is go to Twitter and, and look at the hashtag for the protests in each city. And there's just, people that are clearly taking advantage of the protesting just to cause mayhem because they're and that's and whatever this is why it's a it's such a hyper focus i would say like magnified time in our world because i mean even 10 years ago there wasn't iPhones so like 
the protests now, like the problem that I think is stemming is people are doing things to be seen. Rather, people used to do things to be heard. And that is creating a massive conflict between groups because I see the misinformation that happens on these social media platforms because even if you had 1,000 great protests, peaceful protests, and you have one that has this shocking thing happen because you can see it, it's like what you heard is silenced by what you saw. And I like what you posted the other day around like, and it's, it's as simple as this for me to break down like the police part of this with the post that you reshared, where it's like, if you have a thousand good cops and 10 bad cops and the thousand good cops don't get rid of the 10 bad cops, you have a thousand and 10 bad cops. Like it is that simple. And I also saw somebody else post something like, the margin of error allowed in certain roles, like as CEOs, we fail all the time. But like, you cannot fail as a police officer. Yet you and I train ourselves more as CEOs than most police officers train themselves to go out on active duty. And I saw a lot of military people coming into the conversation because they go through strict, strict regimen. Because when they go overseas, like they're all they got. So like they're very cued on like what's allowed, what's not allowed, because they can get tried for Yeah. A military court is much more strict than Yeah. They can get tried in third world countries for things that they don't want to be tried there. So like they're very aware of what they can and cannot do versus it seems like we're having this two sided thing where you have police in different areas acting in different ways which shouldn't be the case. It should be, okay, what does policing look like in America? How should it be like across the 50 states? And then for people, it's jaded because you have Twitter and you have Facebook and you have these people doing things just to get attention to be seen rather than to be heard. The people protesting peacefully want to be heard. We all, anybody that's has two cents can, can see that and we want them to be heard. But then you have these people that, take advantage like you're saying and i th- i literally think they take advantage cuz they can be seen like uh, yeah, it, if I you mean, couldn't be seen it it's kind of like a little bit pointless to do some of the really dumb things that people are doing yeah and also if you're just some angry asshole out there and you see these protests you just walk by and you get riled up and you just like fuck it i'm just going to break shit with my skateboard because yeah. because i fucking can right now and it makes it, it just tarnishes the intention of the entire protest. And that's another thing that I've been, you know, really looking to some historical figures for, which is like, do we support nonviolent protests or are violent protests justified? And that's a big question that I've been looking at as well. And so Well, for me, like it comes down to like businesses and things like that can always be rebuilt. Like like you can't you can't replace human life. So like the violence that I don't like is when it's purposeless. Like, and I think purposeless violence comes with when there is no plan. Like, what I think we lack right now is leadership across the board of like, this is what our protest is going to look like. This is what we're trying to get from it. This is where we're trying to go with it. And because there's this vagueness around, like, we're just going to gather. And when people just gather, like, and there's no true leadership, that's when anarchists and people that 
take advantage of the non-leadership come in because I think they're outnumbered, but when people see it, they don't really know what to do because there's no clear goal. And relating this to business, if your business doesn't have a clear goal, it's like anarchy at a lot of times, right? So that's how I've been thinking about it. It's just like, because I see people just constantly posting one side or the other. And I believe that violence is necessary in certain circumstances because you just don't have a choice, but it has to be, okay, we're planning to do this protest. And if these bad things happen, this is how we're going to protect ourselves. And that I don't think is what's happening because if you have planned peaceful protests and then you have people that come out and try to harm and do bad things, like you can defend yourself in my eyes, like, 100%. And that's where if violence happens in that way, so be it. But if people are purposely going out there to rile up, but how do you, how do you see through that? This is, this is a a challenge that has been faced before. And, you know, when um, Martin Luther King, his house was bombed with his wife and his baby at home. And he was, I think he was at church and the community was fired up they showed up with their batons and baseball bats and they were ready to rock like you can't you can't bomb our homes and during that time martin luther king the whole time he is struggling immensely with this idea of nonviolence. he is like how can i ask my people to be nonviolent when we're being attacked when our homes are being attacked when our homes are being burnt down, when we're being lynched, when my house is being bombed, how can I ask them to be nonviolent? And if you watch the video footage of the march at Selma and the countless other marches, the police brutality, on he is clear. He says, no matter what they do to us, we will not respond. And can you, I mean, understand or comprehend the, the moral courage and clarity that you must have I mean, these people were being beaten. I mean, very well, any of them could have died. And they just had this, this clear mission statement that we will not respond. And when other white people began to see those images on TV, you, they gained support that way. I mean, you are putting your life on the line for what you believe at that point, because this happened here and during the civil rights era. This is what Gandhi did in India for independence. This is what Nelson Mandela did in South Africa. Nelson Mandela, when he got out of prison, his wife was leading extremely violent protests for rights for blacks in South Africa, his wife. And he came out and he had to speak out against her. And she, th- their relationship was over at that point because he said, I, you're wrong. If the whites in South Africa, if the people in power believe that we, if granted power or a seat at the table, will use our power to gain revenge on them, they will not, they will fight us tooth and nail to not allow us a seat at the table. And you know what he did? When he became president, he invited his very own oppressors, the people that put him in jail, into his cabinet as a sign to say that we're not going to use our freedom our equality, our independence to enact revenge on you. And Martin Luther King said the same thing. 
He said, we will fight this with love. We will not be driven by revenge. And, the, and that is not easy. It's not easy. It's, it's not. It's not like so I hard. commit to nonviolence and and I and I'm good. Like you, you're fighting against that every step of the way. It it's because terrifying. Yeah, because there's a saying. I think Mike Tyson said it, but everybody has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Totally. And it's just like you can say you can preach nonviolence, and then you get punched in the face. What do you do? And what do you do? Or you see your dad be, or mother being yeah. punched in the face. Yeah, and that's that's the toughest that's the toughest thing. And I need to clarify because before before I was saying like protect yourself. I don't believe in retaliation necessarily, but to protect yourself and those around you, that's where I think we have to find a better way to go about things because if I'm looking at like Austin here in general, right? The police shooting, they call them non-lethal bullets mm-hmm. into crowds. What does a crowd do in that, that instance? Well, what starts happening is like their natural reaction is like run and throw things and do all these things versus like actually having a planned way to protect themselves and that's where I think, again, in today's day, we can learn from previous times is if we had leadership and planned leadership for these protests, like here's how you protect yourself going out to these things, like wear goggles, whatever. Like, I don't know what the solution is, but like, if we're expecting these certain things, protect yourself in this way so that retaliation is a little bit thrown off a little bit. Because I think like what's happening is people are getting shot at and then what is your natural instinct? I'm going to shoot back or I'm going to throw a brick or I'm going to do whatever. So right. to your point, I remember reading a story about in the Middle East, like like 1300 BC. I forget. There was, a one, there was one emperor that like took over. And the way that he did it was when they would go to war, they would capture the enemy. And every single time there would be a new emperor because they would just, once they captured the enemy, they would just behead everybody. And then it would just be this constant cycle of, okay, the emperor would be there and then somebody would try to dethrone them and then they would win and then they would just do the same thing over and over and over again. So there was this new emperor and then what he decided to do was give them riches and send them back to where they came from. So like when they would go to war and he would have slaves quote unquote, well, he would give the slaves food and some riches and send them back to where they came from. Now, what that did was when they went back and then that king or that leader would say, we got to go back and fight. The people were like, ah, we don't really want to fight them. Like they actually like took care of us. So when they went to war, they were conflicted with it. And people actually started, I don't know what it is when you're like waving the light flag, like we don't want to fight because of kindness and love and sympathy and empathy. And that's where, when I saw all this, it immediately reminded me of that. And that's why before this episode, I was recording myself of like, action is definitely the way that we change things. How do you get people to act in a way that drives the change that we need? And that's where I love your response and the fact that you look into Martin Luther King, if you can get people to not retaliate and take that pain 
to earn something in the long run, that's how I think we get out of this. But my question for you is what does that look like in 2020? Yeah, I mean, you can only you can only withstand that sort of violence if you know exactly why yeah. you're enduring this or perhaps sacrificing your own life for it. And we started the conversation with, which is like, what's our version of boycotting the buses? I, lo- I love the message of peace, love, and compassion. I don't want that to be interpreted as stop the protests. No, absolutely not. I think it has to be coupled with breaking windows with skateboards is not the answer. This is the answer. This is our strategy. And it's absurd to read the back and forth of those meetings between the white city councilmen and the ministers. The only reason they were able to get into that room even was because of the boycotts, because it hurt their pocketbooks. And we have they to were do the strategic. Same thing. They were strategic. And boycott, divest, and sanction BDS has worked around the world. And so my question is, you can't boycott the police, which I've been seeing go around, which is like, don't call the police, which is, I think I understand what the message is there, but like, okay, we want the police to act differently. So how do we get them to act differently? How do we gain leverage over the police? Well, my question is, and we talked about this before we got on, which is who's responsible for putting police chiefs in their position and taking them out? I don't know. I would like to know that. And then I would like to know, are those elected officials? If those are elected officials, well, who's funding their campaigns? I'm sure those are, you know, as those are know, great infographics that we are, could create. Those are companies. Those are wealthy people that own companies. Well, that's interesting. What if we boycott those those companies? And we say, we're boycotting your company because you funded this elected official who's responsible for hiring this police chief. And we do not like how this police chief is running his station because we have these statistics to show that that under his um, authority, this many you know incidents of police violence have happened. That's a complex message to deliver, but you can do that in an infographic like that and spread it around. Well, and, and today... And- this is where the advantage of living in 2020 is the spread of information is so much easier than like, they didn't have cell phones when Martin Luther King right. was, was they, alive. They, right? like, they had to make sure that the 50,000 black people in Montgomery didn't ride the buses by handing out pamphlets. Yeah. It was every day would, they would check to see the buses. Like, are they empty? Did any black person get on a bus today? And they held out in, in the beginning. They didn't think they could do it for one day. Then they were like, shit, it's been three days. Can we keep asking everybody to walk everywhere? And it went on and on. And in every step of the way, they were like, I don't know how we can keep asking everybody to walk 12, five miles a day. And they held out for over a year because they had like this clarity of mission. Like we're going after this end of segregation. Like it's time. And we're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. So I would love for everybody to start figuring out. And and you know what? It's probably my ignorance that I don't know the answer to it. I'm sure there's phenomenal leaders in the Black Lives Matter movement that already know this answer, and I just haven't seen the information yet. And so as soon as I can get a hold on that, it'll then be my responsibility to share that with my network. And I think it's a much tougher proposition today because it's not as clear 
because that's that's the whole issue that's happening because you have all these people that are like, well, we don't get why this is happening. Like white people, right? Because they live in the suburbs and like, like it just doesn't equate to them. People knew what segregation was in the 60s and the 50s. Like they knew, like no matter who you were, you knew what it was. But if I go and say to some of my friends, like you're being racist, a lot of them, they equate racism to, I, I mean, I'm not slurring at a black person or this or that, but they don't understand the full aspect of what it's like to be privileged. And that's where I think, again, there's a huge disconnect of this is a two-sided street this time around, because I think part of the equation is how do we get white people to, and I was talking to you about this before the podcast, like infiltrate the system. Because the problem I'm seeing right now is nobody understands the, the system. Like you can't, you can't win the game if you don't know the rules. And right now, especially people in our age group, they don't know the rules of the game. Like they, the question of how do you get a police commissioner, police chief, how does the, the mayor affect that? How does the governor affect that? How do these corporations affect who your mayor and your governor is? Like none of us know that. So then I think back to why do none of us know that? Well, education system doesn't teach us that. So if the education system isn't going to teach us that, I mean, in the U.S., it's 70% white. So the solution is on us. So you said Black Lives, and I read this in an article, because people are complaining that it's been 400 years and we're still having the same problem. Well, the reason is, is because of me. Like, white, white institutionalized racism that they don't even realize they have because it's just there right and now this brings awareness to oh shit if i elect this guy and he does something really bad it's starting to affect me at this point because i mean we all work in different circles and have different friends and it's starting to impact people and then the ability to have social media to see how it's like i was talking about george floyd's daughter like it's a daughter it's it doesn't matter whether she's black white whatever it's a little girl that lost her father. Anybody should be anybody with some type of education should be able to comprehend that she lost her father. That is horrendous. She lost her father in a horrendous way and she's going to have to watch this video for the rest of her life. Nobody should ever have to go through that. And I think to conclude on this statement, the way that we get there is did you see the the killer Mike his his response you have to find common ground and meet people where they're at. So we have to find where the elected officials are at. And then we have to figure out where black lives matter movement. Like where is that middle ground that we're talking about so that we can start electing officials that help with the middle ground. And what are our demands? What is the outcome? Like what is the outcome that we can fight for to help black people earn fair equality because like this is the problem again with a lot of white people is they think it's equal i grew up in new jersey and camden new jersey is one of the worst places you can live quote unquote and i went to school at rutgers camden and like you just see like if you're born there versus like born in the suburbs like you just have a disadvantage you didn't choose to be born into that and that's where I think a lot of people just never, because they never see it out of sight, out of mind. 
And we need to make it insight, in mind, find that middle ground. My question would be, how do we start? Because for me, as a white male, I've been trying to think like, how do I lead? How do I be a leader in this for the for the next decades to come? I mean, I think that you're kind of, all I can ask for of my life partner, white, blonde hair, blue eyes like you, you know, we're having these conversations every day. We've been having them for years now. And she posted yesterday admitting to some subconscious racism that she caught herself with. Like yesterday we went for a walk and there was some big black guy in our neighborhood walking a pit bull. And she told me, she was like, man, at first glance when I saw him, the thought that came across my mind was, here goes another black guy with, with a pit bull. Why does he have a pit bull? And I was like, well, all I can ask is that you keep recognizing when you have those thoughts. And I think that's what white people all around the country just need to do. Like, There's like so much apathy that happens when it's like, I don't know what to do. Therefore, I'm just... Do nothing. I'm just going to do nothing. I'm just going to like put this out of my mind because I don't know what I can even do about it anyways. This is what you can do. Just listen. That's it. Just listen. And if it feels heavy, that's okay. It's supposed to feel heavy. That's the point. It is heavy. And if you can go a step further and perhaps call out your own subconscious biases in day-to-day life if they happen, which they're likely to because we're human beings, do that. Talk about it with somebody you trust, your mom, yourself. Write it in your journal. Be like, fuck, I caught myself with this attitude. There's nothing more powerful than that because what has happened up until this point and one of the most powerful things that I see in this 2020 sort of uprising is I, I'm seeing a lot of my white friends, such as yourself, actually have the courage to post the phrase Black Lives Matter. And that wasn't happening in 2017 when Colin Kaepernick took a knee or 2016 when Black Lives Matter was born, essentially. Like, I didn't see as many people posting that as they are today because since what happened in Ferguson, Missouri happened, and today, four years later, we just are just seeing these videos day after day after day after day. And, and I just see a lot of white people that are like, man, something is definitely wrong. And I don't think at this stage I can ask for anything other than, honestly, acknowledgement and solidarity. Like there's something immensely powerful. I've seen all my black and brown friends when we see a white person actually acknowledge privilege just straight up or acknowledge the experience of colored people, black people, that almost moves us all to tears. Because one of the biggest indignities of racism is that when you experience it and try to communicate it to white people, they'll oftentimes say, I don't know what you're talking about. Are you sure you're not paranoid? Like, are you sure that that's true? And it's heartbreaking, essentially. And for for now, for white people to actually be saying like you know what you guys you're fucking right like some shit's got to change i don't know what it is i don't know what i can do but i hear you and i'm here for you i I can't tell you how powerful that is in and of itself and i think anybody who's listening to this and feels like they don't know what to do that's it if you don't know what to do step one is to just listen and feel it 
Step yeah, feel will something. Come. Step two will come. Just because it feels bad, don't push it to the side. Stay there. It's okay. Imagine how bad it feels to to deal with racism. You know, I've avoided sharing my personal stories of racism because I don't want it to be. This is another thing that I've seen. It's not about minorities right now. It's not about brown people. It is about black lives. It's focused. Like black people, they face racism, institutional discrimination at a level, and it has persisted for so long that if in 2020 we can finally take major steps to root that out, that's going to be a win and for everyone. I mean, you stated something that should be the, the obvious, because I, I live in, in facts and data, and like what you're speaking is facts and data, and well, people will always try to just skate around the truth. The easiest way to look at it is you mentioned incarceration earlier. Yeah. That's all you have to look. And that's why Black Lives Matter. Like that's why it's about black people. Because if you look at the proportion of incarcerated people, the numbers speak for itself. And what you mentioned was, well, the next thing that people would say is, well, black like, people do more crime. Correlation causation can't lead to correlation, right? It it doesn't always add up. All you have to do is look at the charges. So look at the same charges of a white person. The one that infuriates me the most because I just read it recently in an article, Brock Turner rapes somebody. Yeah, Stanford. Stanford, oh. right? Three months, that's it. Like that right there, You, if you just brought that out and showed that to people, there are black people that get years for marijuana and this dude rapes somebody. That is like, I, I still can't comprehend. And that that's where I think speaking as a white male, I have to do a better job and we have to do a better job of when we can't comprehend how that is, we need to get in leadership. That's what I've come to the conclusion because I've been talking to a lot of people on social media. We need to lead because I listen, I learn a lot, but how can I lead against injustice in a specific way? And that's where for me, like I've been researching how to vote and how to get people to vote and how to, because I can talk all I want and we can sit here and talk all we want, but there's a system that's already in place. And as a systems engineer, like I've been studying, like the only way you can build a new bridge is you can't build a really great bridge on top of a house of cards. Like you have to knock down the house of cards first and then build a strong foundation and the way that we do that then, to your point, is as we're listening, listen to the stories of black individuals, men and women, learn how to vote, and then vote out based on the stories that you've heard. And I love what you were talking about earlier on this podcast, because now I kind of have a somewhat of a game plan of like, okay, if politics a lot has to do with lobbying of different companies and businesses and stuff like that to get the certain person in business, right? And we're all consumers. So if we can educate the consumer base on how their decisions in everyday life are affecting them and these injustices, that's where we have to start. Because I think a lot of people are naive. Well, they're, I, I saw this earlier, like if I vote, it doesn't matter. And I, I'll be the first to say, like, as a teenager, I would say that. I just would. Because you don't see the bigger picture. You're like, this is my life. I'm fine. Your ego gets the best of you. But now I'm like, 
it does affect me. If I'm hiring people, like I want to run a business, well, I want to hire a diverse company. I want black people, brown people, Asian, everything, because that makes my company better. And if my people have to go through these injustices, it does affect me. And that's what really, really infuriates me because there's so many white male-led businesses that don't do shit when it is their people. They're the, they're, their paycheck is coming from these people. And I don't want to get too riled up, but <laughs> it comes down to everything that we talked about. If you're listening to this, figure out how to listen to the people in your community and the injustices they're going through and how in your local community can you start making an impact by voting, by going to the police department, by going to the municipality. Because if you don't do that, again, it just falls on deaf ears and we're just right back at the same spot. And I love, I saw, I saw Heather's post and what you were, your conversations. And it's just, it's empowering to see that and, I just want to say thank you. Yeah. How much time do we have? So it's 46. We're um, at 46 minutes. Yeah, 46 then? minutes. Yeah. yeah, it's a good combo, bro. I, I'm super happy that like you, you came here. For, for anybody listening, again, Fias is one of my good buddies. And uh, this is episode 15. It was special. And it happens at a time that is with COVID and the protests and, the, and George Floyd's death. Like, I just can't talk about business. Like, I don't know. <laughs> There's no way we're talking about, yeah. And that's where I kind of want to end on a little bit of a, of a higher note is Fayez does run a company that is driving change and it's super diverse and it's helping people. So talk a little bit about the good that's happening in your life and in your team's life because I love how you never like to spotlight yourself and your team has been growing and you, you expanded to Houston, which Houston just ran 60,000 person protest yesterday. So your company is expanding and your ability to drive change is, is growing and it's super inspiring and motivating to me. How does it feel on your end? I don't know. I honestly like so much of my brain space, almost all of it is focused on what the conversation that we just had now. And it's taking a lot of focus to really like pay attention to our business yesterday for blackout Tuesday. I, I sent out a Slack and I asked everybody to take the day away from work and reflect on how we can be better as individuals, as a team, and as a society. And today I'm having conversations with all of our employees about what did they think about? What did they talk about? And I, I think that's my favorite thing about growing our company is that I can choose to build my organization in this thoughtful way where we can just show up differently. And yeah, I mean, from a business side, everything is going well. We navigated COVID really well. We ended up expanding during COVID. You know, well, you don't have to. I want to clarify. You don't have to speak <laughs> on any of that. I, I think what you brought up is is really good. And one of the reasons I I should have posed this question in a, in a better way, but I'm still a learning podcast host. I'll admit that you're such a great leader, and I think a lot of CEOs. And not even just CEOs, because a lot of people that listen to this aren't CEOs. But you hit things head on and direct. And you just sh showed that with like approaching your employees. And I think speaking to that is something that a lot of people would be great to hear. So like, so you haven't had these talks yet? I'm having them. Like, you know, honestly, I have every spectrum of the rainbow on our team. We have white, black, brown 
Asian, everybody. We have everybody on our team. And, and the, the truth of the matter is everybody is experiencing it differently, what's happening right now. And, you know, I know that our, our black employees, I had some conversations on Saturday where they were like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Like, I, do I go protest? Like, just, we needed to talk. We need to have conversations as human beings. Like, what, what do we do? What, what am I supposed to feel? How, I don't know if I can show up to work today. Like I'm, I'm, I'm crying. I'm scared for my family. Like, what are we supposed to do? And then I have my white employees who are like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I don't know how to feel about this either. And, you know, on Sunday we were, we had some, you know, your deliveries are coming. Like, you know, we can't wait to feed you guys post <laughs> plan. And I was like, no, no, like this does not feel right whatsoever. And I spent, you know, the next like two, three hours, like just writing and rewriting and rewriting. Like, what do, what are we going to say? How do we show up right now? And I think just by me, you, you shared that Aaron, your wife's company hasn't released any statement versus other companies that are releasing statements. And so I, in that moment, as the leader of my company, you know, and I have 30, 35 people that work for me and answer to me and look to me. And I have to say, okay, this is, this is how I think we need to show up. And because of that, my white employees have felt comfortable to express to me that like, this is what I'm experiencing and I'm learning so much that I haven't learned before. And yesterday when I told them all like, you don't, you're not working today. What you're doing is thinking about what your role in this is and how you can be better. And you know, I, I can't control whether they did that or or didn't do it, but I've already received messages about from a lot of people that were like they did do that, and they haven't had to think about this stuff before. And I mean, that's just my small, you know, minuscule part that I can play in the overall picture. And I just think that if we can all have these conversations with the people around us, if you're a white person and the only, you know, you have one one black friend, but everybody else in your life is white. I heard, have these conversations. Heather's mom called her yesterday and I heard them on speakerphone. Her mom said, I feel like, I feel embarrassed to be white right now. I feel shame. And I was like, damn, when else am I going to hear this conversation happen between two ladies who walk around like they own the fucking world? They do because they're brilliant, bright, powerful women. But also I see their white privilege happen in front of my face all the time. I'll never forget when the alarm went off at our facility and the police showed up and when they only saw me, hands were on, on their bands, on their wow. guns. And, you know, very strictly speaking to me, like, stay right there, what, show me your hands. What are you doing here? What's going on? And the moment Heather walks around, everything relaxes. The whole thing relaxes. And like, that's kind of what racism can look like today. And, it's just powerful to to hear these conversations happening around us and I just want them to keep happening. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do as a leader, as a CEO, whatever the fuck I am. I'm just a person. <laughs> and I'm just I'm just trying. Like I'm we're just, we're all just trying to navigate how do we show up? And I think the it, it just all comes down to intention. There's so many avenues for change. Do you need to show up to a protest? Do you need to write posts on Instagram? Do you need to call your white mom and talk about it? Do you need to talk to your black friends? Do you need to 
focus on legislative change. I don't know what you need to focus on. We all have different skills and we should all focus on our skill set and what we bring to the world and just and 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 just not stuff this away, not let it die. Focus on it and make sure that some real change comes of it. And I just think that's our responsibility. I love that. And I think it starts with don't allow yourself to get information overload. I think starting with the simplest form of change. And I think that is conversation. And again, I just want to thank you for coming on here and, and conversing with me because I'm constantly trying to learn and, and figure this out. And it's awesome to see that other people are as well. And if anybody, whoever's listening, the thing that I, I kind of want to convey as we wrap up is like, we're imperfect. All humans are are imperfect. Whatever we said on this podcast is imperfect. We're just trying to get a little bit 1% better each and every time and, and learn a little bit how we can show up and be better. And then what I want you to take from this is just like lean into that imperfection. Like you're going to say things, you're going to do things, you're going to be somebody and you might not always be proud of what the way you showed up. But what's more important is reflecting on the way that you showed up and trying to become better. And that's where I love what you did with your, with your company. Cause it's more, it's more so about giving them that space to show up in a better way and whether they did it or not, that's on them. But the fact that you're breeding that and allowing that, I think that's what a lot of people just need at this time. And that's even with Aaron and, and her company, like she's overwhelmed because she's sitting here working 10 hour days still. And we're having these conversations at night and she like wants to do more, but like she doesn't know how to do more because there's that leadership that you're saying. And, and when we converse, I'm just like, the best thing you can do is, is listen and learn. Just like, as long as it's in your mind, and I like what you talked about with Heather. It's like, if it's in your mind, that's the first step. So let's, what, what are we at here? <laughs> we're at 57. We'll do a quick wrap up. Where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Fayez Rana. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. And preptierdoor.com is where you can learn about our company. Yeah. Any Next final up. and any final thoughts, words? Um, I think you wrapped it up perfectly. No. Awesome. <laughs> All y'all, please reach out to Fayez. Again, he's, he's one of the, the best human beings I know and is always down to listen and discuss. And on behalf of both of us, if you have any questions about this episode in particular, because um, we, are, we are talking about a, uh, a tough topic right now, and I'm going to be continuing to talk about it and figure out how I can help and be a, a leading hand in where this is going. Um, which is it needs to go in the path of equality for, for black lives. So if anything has touched you during this episode, please reach out to Fias or myself, and we'd love to get you connected. We're here in Austin, Texas, um, but we're more than willing to, to help you get connected in your own community and figure out how you might be able to start and drive change. So until next time, this is CJ Finley with the Thrive on Life podcast. Thrive on, y'all.